Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, a reminder to go check out the previous episode 45 where I was joined by David Aldridge from The Athletic. David is a fellow American University alum and someone I've kept in touch with over the years. That was a great episode you do not want to miss and definitely want to listen to after you finish this one. Because on today's episode, I have another amazing guest, someone I've just got to know over the past few months, current contributor at Piston Powered, Eli Bashi. Eli, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Bryce. I really appreciate it. Nah, man, I'm excited. Eli is not just a great content creator, but a huge fan of the Detroit Pistons and Detroit sports in general. On this episode, we're going to discuss the Jalen Green versus Cade Cunningham rivalry. We're going to start looking ahead to the Pistons 2021-2022 season and take an overall look at the NBA season. But before we look ahead, we're going to take a quick look back for an overall reflection on this offseason and what Eli thought about it. So Eli, let's start off with the 2021 Detroit Pistons draft class. And that class starts with the man himself, Cade Cunningham. Before we get right into Cade, Eli, just as a someone that drew up, grew up in Detroit and a Pistons fan, how excited were you whenever the Pistons got the number one pick? Oh, man, I was watching in my basement, and I was just screaming, and my parents were like, why are you being so loud? Like, calm down. What happened? Are you okay? I was like, <laughs> I was like the Pistons got the first pick. The Pistons got the first pick. And, you know, they, they don't care. They're like, okay, well, be quiet. And then, you know, the the tears started flowing. I, I can't remember the last time I've been that, like, just – it didn't feel real. It was almost an out-of-body experience when we got the first pick. Yeah, man, and that's what – I mean, I remember going back to it. Like, I, I kind of had – I was one of those. I was like, man, we're going to get it. Like, the Pistons deserve it. Um, we've done this the right way. Things are going the right way. Um, but I still got really nervous leading up to it. And um, and then even whenever the number one pick happened, you know, there was so much talk about Jalen Green and Evan Mobley and trading the pick and everything else. So, again, before we get into Cade Cunningham, were you one of those? Were, were you interested in all at another guy the Pistons could have picked or trading it? Or were you on the Cade Cunningham bandwagon and, and let that lead into you talking about how you feel about Cade Cunningham? I, I'm going to be honest. I'm a big I'm a big pessimist when it comes to stuff like this. I, I've been through it so many times now where it's like, oh, okay, the Pistons are going to get the 6th, 7th, 8th pick, you know, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But I will admit, something felt different this year. It seemed like it seemed like everything was going our way. We had Big Ben there. And, uh, I, you know, I was ready to get, like, a, a Mobley or even, like, a Suggs. I was, I was ready for one of those guys, maybe even a book night if we fell to six. But... Man, we got the first pick, and it was just instantly I was like, we have Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham is on our basketball team. 
So, uh, yeah, no, I've been a big Cade guy ever since. Ever Pretty much I didn't really watch any Cade until we got the number one pick because I thought it was so out the window. But once we got number one, I was like, we're getting Cade. This is it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I remember that. I, a lot of the podcasts I was doing leading up to the lottery was Jalen Green versus Evan Mobley, and I was spending a lot of my time trying to, you know, talk to people. My opinion was you take Evan Mobley over Jalen Green. Obviously, that's not what happened. We can talk about that later maybe. But, you know, and then when it was Cade Cunningham, I, I'm kind of like you. I, I knew who he was. I had done some research and, you know, listened to guys talk about how good he was. But then you just fully dove into Cade. And, and I don't know how you feel, Eli, but he has been as advertised in more thus far I know we only saw a couple games uh, of summer league I thought he looked really good he shot the ball well Um, defensively you could see the potential Um, and then I think even more so Eli is the stuff off the court can you talk to that first before the stuff on the court just everything the way he's endeared himself to the city of Detroit and the organization and, and how that makes you feel as a fan yeah, I mean, even before he got drafted, you know, he went to the Tigers game that week and fans were chanting his name and he was getting real excited about it. It just seemed like he, he wanted to be here, which, you know, we can't say really about another one of those top three guys, but I think we'll get to that a little later. <laughs> we, let's save that little teaser there, a little, little, <laughs> little, little, foresh- for everyone. little yeah. foreshadowing. I appreciate it. Yeah, but it just feels great to have a guy who – you know people talk so much about his leadership abilities and we're already seeing that you know he was mic'd up for a a few of those games and he's always talking always talking on defense I think I heard you say that since you were actually there you can really hear them like calling out like to switch and ice and stuff like that and you know for him to be 19 and it's weird because this is the first year that draft picks are younger than me so to see a guy at 19 already becoming like a floor general for your team, it's just it's a breath of fresh air for a team that I think has needed a guy like this who can really be the face of the franchise for so long. Yeah, and I mean, David Aldridge talked about that on the previous episode, that to be a leader of men, like grown men, whenever you're 19, is not an easy thing to do. And it it seems like he has, I'm sorry if you're uh, listening to every episode, but I always go back to what Matt Derry said. He called it cachet. That's the the word word he used, and I really like that. He has a cachet about him, and he just draws you in. And Yeah, I had a chance to watch him at Summer League and sit pretty close to the court, and you could hear him, low man, low man, or ice, ice, or you know wrote you know whatever it was and then seeing his interaction with Killian Hayes you could just tell he understands how important it is that him and Killian Hayes have good chemistry on the court but he was doing it in warm-ups on the bench everywhere like it's just he gets it I feel like he gets it I feel like that's very important like you said because maybe that's something the Pistons haven't had in a while yeah it's just one of those things where like he just comes in right away and he knows what he has to do he knows he's so he's really self-aware you know he knows he's the number one pick he knows the expectations but he's also you know ready for that and he's not really cocky about it the thing I like about him the most is he's like one of those cold killers you know kind of like a Kawhi but on a lesser scale than that um he you know Jalen Green is kind of the opposite Jalen Green's pretty flashy and you know wants the spotlight and stuff Cade is just he's gonna kill it like you might not notice it but at the end of the game he'll have 25 
seven and six, you know, but you'll be like, when did that happen? And then the Pistons will win the game. That's the type of guy Cade is. He's going to lead you to wins, but it's not going to be the most flashy way, but he's going to play team basketball and he's going to help the guys around him all be better. I love it. Like the way you just described it is perfect. I, I love that, Eli. It's something I've talked a lot about. Um, what about just on the court, his his skill set? What what maybe is something that has impressed you um, as you've watched him more? Because I think there's two different sides of, of Cade Cunningham for people. There's the guys that know him or the, the, the side that knows him as like a creator, a passer like that. I don't want to say true point guard, but as an offensive initiator. And then there's the side that knows the more recent of the score, the shooter, whatever. And which side were you on or which side do you kind of see did you know more about or were you were you very much aware of his all-around offensive game yeah I was pretty much aware of all of it I I really see him as needing to have the ball in his hands and needing to score but you know he obviously can play off ball and he's going to play a lot off ball I think the Pistons in their case they'll probably need him to score the ball more than they'll need him to play make but, you know, he's definitely going to do both. But at this point, with Killian sharing responsibility with, in the backcourt with him, I think Cade's scoring is going to stand out a lot more than his passing. And I think that held true in Summer League as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's what's great about Cade Cunningham, right, is he can kind of fit into whatever role you need. Right now, that's the shooting, that's the scoring. And maybe down the road, there's not as much as that, and we'll see more of that creation ability um, that is definitely there. But uh, uh, we could talk a whole episode about Cade Cunningham, but let's move on to the second-round picks. Um, Isaiah Livers, who we haven't been able to see, obviously, coming off the injury, but you probably watched it. Michigan quite a bit. Luca Garza, everybody's favorite you know, uh, second-round pick to talk about right now. We don't have to necessarily talk about Balsa. I think it came out today that he's going overseas but Isaiah Livers, Luca Garza, any of those guys that you kind of saw at summer league or just whenever the picks happened that you were excited about? Yeah I'm a Michigan basketball fan so when we picked Isaiah Livers I was I was pretty ecstatic he's one of my favorite Michigan players of all time and what we're getting with him in my opinion is a guy that easily could have gone in the first round had he not gotten hurt so I'm just I'm thrilled that we got Isaiah Livers. He's going to be a floor spacer. He's a smart player. He's a smart defender. He's got good size. Um, and it, he and you we have John Beeline on the staff now. I think that's going to be great for both of them being reunited. Uh, and then of course Luca. He showed out in summer league offensively as we kind of expected. He's the national player of the year. He's got an unlimited bag offensively. The biggest question is going to be the defense. Can he defend at a competent level, not be a negative defender, I think I've heard you say. Um, And that's going to be the biggest thing for him. But I'm glad he got a two-way contract. He's going to be with the Motor City Crews a lot. And that's probably going to be an entertaining G League team. <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk about Luca Garza a little bit more um, here in a little bit, and, and even that uh, the G League and the two way contracts. But I want to talk about something I really haven't touched on the podcast, and that's the hiring of John Beeline. I haven't I haven't talked a lot about that. I did talk about it with Koo on Locked On Pistons, but you being a Michigan fan, I assume that meant you grew up a Michigan fan, so you've been through those years. How, well, what did you think about whenever you heard John Beeline was coming on? the Detroit Pistons staff 
you know, obviously recency bias with him and all the stuff that happened in Cleveland. Do you think like, oh, why did we hire this guy? But me being a Michigan fan, I was just so thrilled because he knows, you know, he knows how to develop relationships with players. Now that didn't show in Cleveland, but I think Cleveland had a couple of, you know, vets that didn't really want to listen to a, you know, rookie NBA head coach and his coaching style didn't really fit them. But the Pistons have a very young team who I think has a lot of mature guys on their team and they'll be willing to be coached by John Beeline and he's a great coach for shooting as you know he's been working with I think uh, they said he's been working with Killian all offseason on his shot Um, I just think it's going to be a great great hire in the long run but we'll have to see I guess yeah, and uh, you brought up the shooting. I'm glad you did because one uh, one thing I do want to point out with shooting, especially when you're changing somebody's shot this late in their career. And again, I realize, you know, you think about it, Killian Hayes, and you're like, well, he, it's only his second year in the NBA, but he's been playing basketball for a long time. There's a lot of muscle memory that Killian Hayes has already developed in that shot. So his shot may actually look worse before it looks better if excuse me, if Beeline's having to break it down a little bit and then build it back up. So I just hope that as fans, and and I'm going to probably make this mistake, Eli, I hope as fans we aren't quick to judge, oh, we're not shooting the ball better. Killian's shot doesn't look better if it doesn't, you know, turn around in the first half of this season or even this season altogether. Like, that's something that's going to take some time to develop. Just like with Saban Lee, we saw small steps in summer league, but it's going to take a long time for it to really come around. Yeah, sometimes, especially with shooting, um, I know you played in college. I didn't go anywhere near that. I played up until eighth grade, but I was pretty much just a shooter. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good shooter, and I kind of went through that metamorphosis where I had to change my shot completely, and it was really ugly for a while. But you kind of have to take two steps back, and then hopefully you can take three steps forward. Something like that, I think, is what we'll hopefully see with Killian. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it just it just is the way it is. Whenever you completely break something down like that, it's going to look worse for a little while before it looks better. And so, again, you know, to those listening, you're probably going to see me tweet like, you know, what's wrong with this or what's wrong with that? And I'll, somebody put me in check and remind me that we need to be patient with this. But, you know, I really felt like, well, let me ask you this, Eli. Did you think shooting was as big an issue as what I thought? I thought it was a pretty big issue last year, definitely floor spacing and all of that. Did you think that that was a huge issue? And how have you felt about how the Pistons have addressed that Troy Weaver, not just with the draft, but obviously then going into free agency? Yeah, shooting was definitely an issue last year. I mean, replacing Plumlee with Olenek, first of all, is like probably one of the biggest moves. I wasn't a fan of the move at the beginning. I'm pretty sure I tweeted before free agency, I do not want Kelly Olenek on my (laughs) basketball team. (laughs) But, you know, well, of course, you know how the world works. Now we have Kelly Olenek. That was our biggest free agency signing, and I've kind of come around on it as I've watched him uh how he played last year obviously can't ignore it he put up huge stats on the rockets um and he's always been a good shooter and i think he he's got a toughness to him that weirdly fits detroit and i i think it's a it's a good move for both sides him and the pistons yeah i mean i'm right there with you eli like i laugh as you were saying that but part of the reason i laugh is because and i've said this again multiple times on the podcast i've tweeted it like i'm very transparent about it i said i wanted nerland's noel like i i 
I was very outward about that. I thought he fit the type of player, the type of big that we didn't have and the type of big that we needed. And we signed Kelly Olenek and I went straight to the guys at Detroit Bad Boys. I said, I want to do the breakdown on Olenek and they let me do it. And I came around very quickly because of his game and how I do think it's going to help complement Cade and Killian and the other young guys. And so I, I think that's very important to have that floor spacing. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. And we'll get into the, the whole starter backup stuff here a little bit later in the episode. Um, what about what about Trey Lyles? I know that was a guy that was you know not very well received or a move that was not very well received by a lot of Pistons fans. How did you feel about the Trey Lyles signing? Yeah, well, it's hard to for him to be well received when he didn't say good things about the city he signed with in the past. But hopefully, he's matured beyond that by now. And obviously, you know when you need a job you're not going to complain about the place you're getting your paycheck. So hopefully he's put those things behind him. Maybe he'll address, you know, his previous comments. But I guess for depth at the forward positions, it's not that bad of a signing. He'll prob- he probably won't see the floor unless there's injuries, God forbid. But uh, it's, I'm, it's just a pretty neutral to meh signing to me (laughs) agree so I want to talk about a couple different scenarios or or groups of guys and I want to you know one one takeaway you may have so the guys we brought back Saban Lee Frank Jackson Corey Joseph Rodney Magruder is there a guy in that group that you were like man I'm really really excited and we'll get to Hami Diallo he's going to be his own little segment because um, the news has broke since my last podcast with his so we're going to leave him out for now but Saban Lee, Frank Jackson, Corey Joseph, Roddy Magruder, any of those guys you were super excited or maybe a guy you weren't excited about? Like, what's one of those guys, one takeaway from you have from that group of guys we brought back? Yeah, as you are, I'm a big Frank Jackson oh, guy. Yes. I Let's go, Eli. Love, I love it. <laughs> absolutely love his shooting. I love his ability to score the ball. And he's got underrated uh, athleticism. I think we saw that a lot last year where it's like, whoa, did he just get up that high? Um, I, I just I think he could be a great sixth, sixth, seventh guy off the bench, give you, you know, 13 to 15 points off the bench maybe. And I think the Saban Lee contract is a steal, especially if he plays how he did those last few games of Summer League. Um, Corey Joseph, good vet. If Saban plays well, Corey probably won't see the floor. And then uh, I think Troy said Magruder's a good locker room guy. I've heard the writers say Magruder's a good locker room guy, so you can never complain about one of those. Yeah, the, the Magruder signing was interesting to me, but then when you heard the locker room stuff, like it made more sense. And, you know, whenever you have 15 spots on a roster, I, I don't mean to say like you can just waste one. I'm not saying that, but is it really that bad to have a guy that's a great locker room veteran that's going to practice hard, that's going to show the young guys the right way to do it? Like, I think there's a lot of value in that, especially the contract he's on. So I think that that was a really good guy to bring back if that's true. Like, we don't have that insight, you know, like James Edwards and Amari and, and Rod Beard do but we don't have that kind of insight. So, um, you know, you got to trust the organization with that one. Obviously, guys, I'm a huge Frank Jackson fan. I'm like you. I do think, I don't think he has like six man of the year type potential, but I think he has that like six man come in average, I don't know, 10, 12 points a game. And and hopefully he continues to develop his all-around game, but that scoring would be huge. His shooting would be huge for a team like the Pistons. So I'm really high on that. What about the subtraction? So Servetus, Tyler Cook, Wayne Ellington, Dennis Smith Jr., Mason Plumlee were the, kind of the guys on the roster last year that are now going to be gone. 
any of those guys that um, kind of you were like, man, I kind of wish they would have stayed on the roster? Um, Davidas, just because I was kind of the leader of the Davidas Servetus, you know, meme. Uh, but, you know, with him being gone, it's kind of like, oh, uh, you know, bye-bye, Davidas, sad day. Uh, I, I honestly could do without most of those guys. I really didn't think Plumlee was going to get traded, though, especially for, you know, at him as a negative asset. I thought he had positive value, but I guess that just goes to show how little we really know. Um, and maybe we overvalue our guys, but... Uh, I didn't mind Mason Plumlee as much as a lot of people did. I thought he played his role pretty well. Um, so that's, I'd, I'd say Mason is kind of the guy. I'd be like, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't mind him on the team. But at the same time, I'd rather have Kelly Olenek, So Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's one thing people like, when, you can't just look at those isolated moves. Like you have to kind of look at the big picture. And I know sometimes that's hard to do as a fan, especially when things don't happen right away. But yeah, that when that trade happened, it kind of shocked us all, right? And, and I do. I, I like to. I liked to clown Mason Plumlee a little bit whenever he was here. He was an easy guy to do that with, but he really did. He provided good value. He's a great passer. He really is, and he did a lot of good things. The one thing I want to continue to remind people on the Mason Plumlee trade is: yes, we traded back twenty picks in the second round. I get it, and but there was also an eight million dollar trade exemption that comes our way in that trade. So even that trade in itself is not complete because that. Could come in huge down the road. So I just I want to continue to remind people of that that while it looks like we had to give away 20 spots to trade away Mason Plumley, we're gonna get some value back in that trade that we haven't yet got. Um so the final move that just happened here recently was Hami Diallo. I'll just say it up front. The listeners know, I don't know if you know Eli, but I'm a huge Hami Diallo fan. I see huge upside in his game, um, probably more than a lot of people do. I thought we got him back on an extremely good contract. Two years, 10.4, second year team option. What do you think about Hami Diallo, the player, and the contract that he received? Yeah, I was ready for him to get maybe like a three-year, twenty-seven million, is what I was expecting before free agency, and to get him back on a two-year, ten point four is like, what an incredible value for a guy who is on the come up. He's I think twenty-three, twenty-two, twenty-three, something like that. One of the most athletic players in the league. Yeah, one of the most athletic players in the league, and. He's only going to get better. Shooting is, you know, a work in progress, but he shot the ball pretty well as a Piston last year. Um, you hope he's going to keep improving in that area, and if he if he keeps improving in that area, keeps improving defensively, because obviously he's got the body and he's got the athleticism to be an elite defender, um, He the sky's the limit for him, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of potential there with him, and I, I just... I'm really interested. Well, I don't want to jump ahead because we're going to talk about how it all fits together here in a little bit. So before we do that, um, I want to talk about the Summer League just a little bit. So what, what, what did you take away from the Summer League? Again, it's the Summer League. We can't take away too much. Um, you know, we kind of, I, I kind of glossed over Luca Garza quickly on purpose, you know, saving him for this this part of the, the episode. But whether it was Luca Garza or somebody else, what did you think about the Pistons Summer League and what you saw from some of their young players? My biggest takeaway is probably a very polarizing opinion, but honestly, my biggest takeaway was that Killian and Cade are going to have no problems meshing together because when they were on the floor together, they locked up the opposing backcourt. And, um, you know, people 
for some reason, people like to say that they're not going to work together even after they played together in Summer League. And it's just weird to me because every single game they played together, which I think was only three, but still every single game they played together, to start the game, they jumped out to a double-digit lead every single game with Killian and Cade both on the floor. And then the bench came in and eventually would lose that lead and lose all the momentum. But Cade and Killian was never, in my opinion, a problem on the court, and they were most mostly a positive when they were on the floor together. So that's probably my biggest takeaway just because those two guys are going to be staples this year. Um, it's probably your backcourt to start the year. So I, I, I'm really thrilled to see that defensively they were what I thought they were going to be. And then offensively, Killian, of course, didn't shoot the ball well, but uh, Killian's last game, he did hit a couple standstill threes, which I think is going to be what you know, at minimum, what he'll have to do uh, to share the floor with Cade. So that was good to see as well. Well, and I agree, Eli. Like, I, I've never been too concerned about this. Uh, David Aldridge on the last episode actually did express a few concerns, or at least saying like, hey, do we really know yet? But I think what it comes down to is, is Killian's a very polarizing player right now, Eli. To me, he's all of a sudden becoming the new, what Sekou was at this time last year, where it's complete opposite sides. Either you think that guy is not any good, or you think you still see star potential in him. Like, I tweeted about it, or maybe wrote in the article I had that after that first summer league game, I had literally people in the stands I went up and talked to and heard completely different sides about what they thought in Killian's Hayes, what they saw in Killian Hayes' game that night. And so I think that's what it comes down to. I don't know that it's as much the fit. It's, I think, people just talking directly about Killian Hayes and whether they think he's really a starter with, uh, you know, long-term potential in this league. And I think there's a lot of people still questioning that with him. Yeah, I, it's pretty much people on two different aisles. The people who think Killian is still going to be a good player in the league, they see no problem with the fit. And then, as you said, the people who don't think Killian's going to be any good, they're ready to send Killian to the second unit. Uh, and it's, you know, we'll see, obviously, who's right this season. But I, I really just don't see a problem with the fit, honestly. If Killian can just maybe shoot like 30% from three, I think they'll be fine. I think I just think about other teams like I think about a Utah or a Phoenix, and then I think about a team like Dallas with Luca, and Luca's really the only ball handler uh, on the court uh, at one time. And then you know to think about what if Luca had a guy like Chris Paul next to him, how how much that dynamic would change, and how much that would help him, and they would help each other. I just feel like it's it's a great match to have two guys with elite vision, elite playmaking ability, and uh, really good size at their positions. Yeah, and my guess is we didn't see the Pistons run any of their sets or anything that they're going to utilize whenever they're whenever whenever we see October 20th come around because I doubt they wasted those in summer league. They may have practiced them, but I doubt they're going to show that to the rest of the league. So I think the fit will look even better t- come season whenever Dwayne Casey and his staff has a, has a set, has an offense that's utilizing both of their skill sets to the utmost. Um, but before we move on to the breaking down the roster and a roster that's one man over right now, I would 
do want to ask about Luca Garza just real quick. You know what? If, you know it's like Luca mania right now with the piston with you know Detroit and Luca and Twitter and his dad Frank. Um, what have you thought about just about Luca the player and what we saw in summer league? Yeah, of course his dad has a lot to do with it, tagging all of us in the uh, the videos of Luca shooting around. But Luca pretty much played as I expected in summer league. He, you know, he said himself he's never going to beat anyone in a race, but he's always going to give his all. He's always going to be sprinting down the floor, and how many other guys are really going to be doing that? So I, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I wasn't a fan of him in college, obviously, since he was in the Big Ten, but... Uh, you know, to see how much heart he has, how, how much he's willing to try, you know, he, he, he's very, he's another one of those guys just like Cade. He's really self-aware. He knows what his weaknesses are. And if you're going to bet on anyone succeeding, you're going to bet on a guy who knows, you know, what he needs to improve on and where his biggest struggles are. So I'm rooting for Luca. Uh, who knows if he'll ever be a rotational NBA player. I hope he is because he, he seems like a really good guy. Uh, his dad seems like a really good guy as well. Um, and he's just one of those guys that's easy to root for because of his mentality, especially in Detroit. We love guys like that. Absolutely. I mean, he. I wasn't sure. I. I was. I was glad he ended up in Detroit. I was hoping that he would, just because I did want to see. Like, you know, uh, there's enough there. He showed enough, especially the offensive game, to give it a chance. And I thought in summer league, he he showed the potential and some other areas to be X factors and make a difference. And if you haven't, go check out my article and my breakdown I did on Detroit Bad Boys of him, where I talked about the rebounding being an X factor, being able to turn into a good passer, especially in the short role, being an X factor. Because defensively, it's always going to be a little bit of a liability. I don't know that those heavy feet are going to necessarily go away. Um, but can he be high basketball IQ, be in the right position, and just perfect playing the drop coverage against the pick and roll? But the offensive game looked really good, and and I'm glad he's with the Pistons and on that two-way contract, and I'm excited to see what he does um, with the G League team, the Crews, and then also in some time with the Pistons. So speaking of that, you you talked earlier about Hayes and Cunningham probably being the starting backcourt. Let's look ahead to the 21-2022 season for the first time here on the podcast. And I want to start with the breakdown of the roster that is right now a 16-man roster that has to be 15 by the start of the season. You know, Eli, what do you think is going to happen? It's been talked about a lot on Twitter. Are are we cutting Jalil waving Jalil Okafor is it going to be Rodney Magruder that we talked about earlier or is a trade coming for Sekou or Josh Jackson uh I I think Rodney's safe after getting that new contract I think they want him in the locker room I think they want another vet guy um you know the easy answer is obviously you can just wave Jalil Okafor but then you really only have two I I honestly say one and a half centers on the roster because you know I don't think Kelly can really play the five and uh you know and defend at a high level I see Kelly as more of a four or five he could play with Stewart he could play without Stewart for a little bit but you you're really uh you're really downsizing obviously we have Luca but Luca is not always going to be with the team um I think Luca is better than Jaleel Okafor but, you know, it'll be interesting. A lot of people think Sekou's the odd man out. I still believe in Sekou. Uh, I've seen what he can do when, he has, when he's confident. I've seen him in the G League. He dominates in the G League. Uh, I, I just think he, he needs to stay confident. He needs a defined role. 
Um, he needs to be used in the offense to where, you know, he's not mentally checking out of games because that's probably his biggest problem for me is him staying engaged. Um, and then Josh Jackson, the fact that he's not off the team yet probably leads me to believe that he'll be back. Um, so I think the easiest answer would be wave Jewel Oak for. I agree. I think that's the one that kind of sticks out. Like you go to the Detroit Pistons on spot track and you look at like dead money possibilities and you know, the, there's guys lower than Jalil Okafor's dead cap hit, but it's like those guys just got their contract. So it, it doesn't seem like they would be the ones. So Okafor does make the most sense. I just, I still would not be surprised if it ends up being Josh Jackson or Sekou in a trade. Um, you know, Josh Jackson only has one year left on his contract, so that would probably be a, an easy contract to trade. I'm with you on, and, and I want to say before I move on, I like Josh Jackson. I like what he brought. I think his defense is underrated. He's a good rebounder, obviously has some deficiencies offensively. Um, but Sekou, I'm with you. I want to see an 82 game of uh, season of Sekou. Um, getting consistent minutes, Eli. You know, that, that, I want to see that, you know, 82 games getting what, 15 to 20 minutes a night, depending on the night and the rotations and the matchups and see, and give him that real legit chance in an NBA season. Um, to see what he can do because I think he started to show at the end of last year that he has some skill set that can transfer and be valuable to an NBA roster and it's not superstar it's not the Pascal Siakam um, comparisons that were being thrown around but it's still a rotation NBA guy yeah I think he should really look at Jeremy Grant and see the type of player Jeremy Grant is because they're similar they were a similar build coming into the league similar ages coming into the league um, and I think he, if all goes well for him, he could become a Jeremy Grant type player. Um, I don't know if that will happen with the Pistons. It, it seems like if Sekou sticks around for this year, this third year is going to be his big prove it year. And if he doesn't prove it this year, then this will probably be, you know, his last his last season with the Pistons, which will make me sad because I, I really do think he's going to become a good player and it would hurt to see that happen with another team but at the end of the day I'd still be happy for him absolutely and I, I think that's fair like I, I hope again I hope he gets a legit shot this year with the Pistons and if he doesn't show it then I think it's probably time for both sides to move on um, but I, I, I do hope we see him in the rotation especially early in the year but hopefully throughout the entire year so let's get into that just a little bit uh, well let me go back just a second so I do want to say the two-way spots go to Luca Garza and Chris Smith the undrafted free agent um, coming off the ACL injury, and then we have an Exhibit 10 contract to Jamarco Pickett. So just I just did want to you know throw those out there for the listeners. But let's dive into the depth chart a little bit. So you said Hayes and Cunningham. I assume who you're going to go with at the three and four, the small forward and power forward. But who's your starting five on October 20th? You know, maybe not necessarily. This could ch- your answer may change if it was later in the year. But just looking ahead at the start of the season, who's your starting five for the Pistons? Um, I think. For me, if I was the coach, I would have Stewart start. Um, I could see Olenek starting, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. But I think just because, you know, Stewart's been with the team longer, he really showed out as a starter last year. He was one of the, he was probably the best rookie center last year. I think, uh, I think he's earned to at least start the year uh, as the starting center. But, you know, if he... If Kelly plays better than him, then obviously you should put Kelly as the starter. 
but I think Stewart, uh, if he can space the floor, um, I know his shooting kind of trailed off at the end of the year last year, but he started the year shoot every time he shot the ball, you'd think it was going in. If if he stays like that, sharing the floor with Killian and Cade, it'll be huge. But if Stewart, you know, if he's below 30% shooting from three, I think you should probably give Kelly a try. Yeah, so I think what's interesting is I almost feel like Stewart might be the better fit because of what Olenek would provide the second unit. And I know I'm the one that sat here and said how Olenek would benefit Hayes and Cunningham, which I think those guys will play with the second unit quite a bit, you know, as you stagger their minutes. But when you just look at it on paper, and this is why I think it gets really interesting, you could really start to question the shooting of that second unit. And it could be a little clunky, Eli, if we, and we'll talk about the Joseph versus Saban Lee thing in a second, but let's just say it's Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson, Hami, Sekou, and Isaiah Stewart. I'm not sure you have what you would call a shooter in that second unit outside of Frank Jackson. Yeah, and I think you might see... Um, you might see maybe them stagger in a way where maybe uh, Jeremy will play with the second unit and then Sekou maybe won't even see the floor at all just so they'll always have like a guy that can shoot at the four. Now if Sekou comes out and Sekou can actually shoot, which for some reason he can shoot in the G League, but he can't shoot in the Kuh, NBA. Ku always just, brings that up as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, me and Ku have talked about that before. It just boggles my mind how you can be like a near 40% three-point shooter in the G League, but then come to the NBA and it'll drop off 15%. Like, it's the same distance, Seku, come on. Um, but I, I'm really not worried about the spacing. I think it'll be a lot better than last year, which isn't going to be hard to do. Um I think Frank is going to be great. Uh, Hami shot the ball well as a piston. He really did. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you brought that up, Eli. He really did. And then, you know, Corey, you know, nobody really is excited to see Corey Joseph on the court, but Corey was pretty good last year, and he's a good vet, and, you know, he knows how to play. And he, he can. He's not, a non, he's not a non-shooter the way, you know, Saban is, but uh, I, I, shooting isn't really – a big weakness for me what I'm really curious about is how well they're going to protect the rim and uh just their size inside in general is a concern for me because Stewart yeah he plays really hard but he's not the most athletic guy his length makes up for that and then Kelly is not known to be an elite rim protector or defender unless you know he's pulling your shoulder out of your socket but we don't got to get into that (laughs) Yeah, no, I, so that's that's definitely an area of weakness defensively, right, is uh, I don't, I mean, your best shot blocker is, you know, on the wing somewhere. It's definitely not one of those big guys. I mean, depending on how you feel about Isaiah Stewart, he, he does have those long arms. I, I wouldn't call him a high riser, a, a big elevator. You know, he's going to block shots at times. Um so you were talking about, you know, maybe staggering minutes at the four, and you've talked about this with Olenek a little bit. So do you see some time of Olenek and Stewart on the floor together at the four or five? Yeah, I think you could. I think when you take Jeremy out of the game, I could definitely see Olenek coming in at the four and you playing Stewart, or, you know, Stewart at the five, uh, Stewart at the four, Olenek at the five, something like that. Um, I, I think they could play together. I think Kelly's definitely a good enough shooter for that. Um, they have good size. They're both pretty mobile. 
So I, it wouldn't shock me to see them play together at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lineup. That's a combination I'm interested in. I, I think a lot of fit Pistons fans are immediately going to go, no, I don't want to see that. But um, because Olenek can shoot it, it makes that more possible because you can go stand Olenek in the corner and still run pick and roll with Stewart, and Olenek's going to space the floor standing in the corner. Like, that's okay. And defensively, Stewart can switch out on ball screen situations. And so that kind of – Olenek can guard the five on that end of the floor if need be. So I think that's an interesting dynamic. I think there's a lot of interesting lineups they can put on the floor. And so I want to go back to the guard spot with, you know, I think they're going to stagger and Cunningham a lot, which then puts not a whole lot of onus on needing a backup point guard. So do you think we're going to see that much of Corey Joseph? And do you think Corey Joseph is going to get those those minutes over Saban Lee? Uh, I do think the reason that in the summer league they tried out the Saban-Killian-Cade lineup is just to see what that would look like because... Dwayne Casey is notorious for playing three point guards together. I mean, he did it in 1819 with Jose Calderon, Ish Smith, and Reggie Jackson. So now, you know, he has what I would say are upgrades in that with Hayes and Cunningham. And then if he really wants to play Corey Joseph, who's been his boy since Toronto, I think he's going to find a way. Dwayne always finds a way to put the three the three point guard lineup on the court. I could definitely see Corey getting 10 to 12 minutes a game even if you stagger Caden Killian, which I think they'll definitely do. Well, and and I don't consider him a point guard and I've been talking about we've been talking about this a lot on Twitter or I have with a with a follower of mine, but then if we're going to do that, I want it to be Frank Jackson. I, I would be very intrigued in a Hayes, Frank Jackson, Cunningham lineup with whoever else at the four and five. And I just think, and this was part of the conversation, that Frank Jackson fits really well next to both Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham because he's not really a point guard, quote unquote, but because those guys are bigger guards, they can kind of switch on the defensive end. Frank Jackson can guard the point guard. Hayes or Cunningham can guard the off-ball guard. And then on offense, Frank can play off the ball. What do you think about that, Frank Jackson, being just a really nice fit next to those two guys? I for sure think we'll see that, especially since Frank is one of the best shooters on the roster. Uh, the floor spacing he'd give those guys and the the scoring threat he would bring because – you know, Killian and Cade, you know, they both can score. Cade more than Killian, obviously. But Frank is like, he's always looking to score. You know, he he, he just wants to score all the time. And I think those two guys are going to love playing alongside a guy like Frank, who's always ready to catch and shoot, always ready to, to get the ball and get a bucket. Yeah, and I think Frank's going to love playing next to those two guys as well, as will a guy like Sekou and Isaiah Stewart that run the floor really hard, and those guys are going to find them. So uh, lots of this conversation moving forward in all the episodes, guys, if you're listening. But we have a few couple other things we want to get to um, with this one, and I want to touch on something before we get to Eli did an incredible job it's amazing I'm not going to spoil try not to spoil too much and let him post it on Twitter if he hasn't already um, uh, his way too early NBA standings but before we get to that I want to touch or talk about Jalen Green this Jalen Green versus Cade Cunningham rivalry that's already brewing or maybe it's just Jalen Green versus Detroit 
What you mean did Clarence? <laughs> Clarence Green is uh, is what we're going with. Shout well, out to Koo for that one. Well done by Koo um, with the Clarence, um, one of my favorite movies, and that uh, that scene that that I can recite. Believe it or not, I can recite every word to that. Don't ask me to. I can't recite it, but like if it gets going, then I can roll with it. Um, that rap battle. So, um, what did you think when you saw this? And I want to preface it this way. As Detroit fans, I feel like sometimes we feel like we have to put down Jalen Green in support of Cade Cunningham. And I'm not trying to do that. I never try to do that. I don't think anybody's necessarily trying to do that, but it's just the way it turns out sometimes. So this isn't Jalen Green bashing, but what did you take about Jalen Green's comments? And for me, it made me feel even more um, encouraged about getting Cade Cunningham and the way he's embraced the city and the organization. I just think he's a young kid who made an ignorant comment and continues to be ignorant and, you know, immature. And, you know, he's 19. What, what, what do you want? You know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise. But to see Cade be, like, the complete opposite of that, just the stoic, like, just ultra-mature guy already at 19, and I think him being a father probably has a lot to do with that. Um, he probably had to grow up pretty quick, so it's it makes me a lot more confident in the fact that we have Kate Cunningham rather than you know Jalen Green, who if we had drafted him, he might have left before you know he re-signed a contract here. He might have been like the first number one pick to leave their team. So I you know I just think Jalen Green needs to. Needs to mature a little quick, and he also maybe needs to watch Malice at the Palace because, you know, some Pistons fans around here, they don't take too lightly (laughs) to people, you know, saying stuff about the city and acting out against the city. Um, Not not that, you know, Malice at the Palace would happen to Jalen Green, obviously, but uh, I think Jalen Green's really going to hear it when when Houston comes to Detroit. Absolutely. I, I wish I could be there for that game. I think it's going to be ele- – I think a lot of the games are going to be electric this year, but I think that game definitely will be. And I think you said it perfectly. Like this it, – it's not so much that Jalen Green is immature right now because he's 19. It's more of like it highlights how mature Cade Cunningham is. And I think that peanut butter and jelly video that's been going around kind of like hits you like – this guy's still a kid, you know, because he gets so excited about a peanut butter and jelly. And it to me, it made me like kind of connect. I connected peanut butter and jelly. Like he's still like, he's not even grown up yet, you know, like really he's 19. But the way he acts, like we talked about earlier, is just so impressive. And I think that's what it does for me. Like when some Jalen Green says something like that, or you look at some of the other comments, um, even from previous number one picks and all that. And then the number one pick we get not only is a stud on the court, but off the court is so mature and says all the right things and again has just completely endeared himself to the city the organization and the fans yeah and uh we're not putting an age limit on peanut butter and jelly price <laughs> no, come no, on you no, can no. you can eat peanut butter and jelly until the day you die no it absolutely is... I, i'm a pb and j guy don't get me wrong i just i just was saying like just he kind of had this reaction like a little kid like wait did you say peanut butter and jelly and you know it immediately turns around so yeah it kind of reminds you that yeah he's still He's still just 19 years old, and it's crazy because he acts so much beyond his age, and he's already a dad and stuff like that. And uh, I, I think 
I think he's really going to be a great leader for the team, and people are going to have a lot of respect for him. He doesn't talk too much. Jalen Green has been accused of talking too much already without, you know, having played a game to really back it up. So we'll see. I think they're going to have a lot of battles. I think I do think it's going to be a rivalry going forward. Um, even though they only play each other twice, I wish they got to play more. But I, I think uh, both of those, both of our fan bases, the Pistons and the Rockets, it's going to be a nice, healthy rivalry. Absolutely. And I, I, I've just thought about, I was like, this is perfect for the NBA. You have two budding stars, you know, number one, number two pick, and the rivalry's already there. The storylines have written themselves, and um, the NBA is in good hands. As So let's move around the NBA, and let's stay with the Rockets. And, and I don't want to go through all of these because I don't want to ruin this for you. So we're just going to pick out a few, and we'll just kind of go back and forth. But Eli put together an incredible way too early NBA standing prediction. So he has the seeds, he has the records, he has all of that. We're just going to let the conversation flow. But like I said, I want to start with the Rockets, who you actually have as number 11 in the West. Um, can you kind of just speak to, to where you, why you see them finishing that high? Because that may be higher than a lot of people think. That's above the Timberwolves, the Kings, the Thunder, and even the Spurs. I, for one, thought they had a really, really good draft. I, you know, as much as we just talked about the rivalry there, I think they had a really good draft. Was it that draft class? Is it Christian Wood and some of the other returners? What do you like about that Rockets roster? Yeah, and also, uh, you forgot to mention, it's very color-coded, and that's <laughs> my favorite part about it. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I am I really like what the Rockets did in the draft. I think they probably had a top-three draft out of all 30 teams. Um, they still have Christian Wood, who was injured last year and probably could have been the most improved player. Um, and then they still got John Wall. Which is, you know, if John Wall can maybe come back somewhat healthy, they still have John Wall. They still got Eric Gordon, I'm pretty sure. If those guys play, you know, they got some good vets to go along with their young players. Now, I don't know if those guys will play. I don't know if maybe they'll get bought out or something like that if the Rockets try to go in a different direction and maybe tank again. But... I think they have a good mix of vets and young players. And obviously Jalen Green probably is going to come in and put up 20-plus points a game. And then you already have Christian Wood, Josh Christopher I really like, Kevin Porter Jr. I really like their roster up and down more than a couple of those other bottom teams in the West. Yeah, I mean, they're a team that's going to score the ball, right, Eli? Like, I mean, you're naming guys off, and I'm like, score 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 like you know they have guys that can score the ball so um you know especially in the regular season that's going to win you games when you have multiple guys who can go get you 20 plus and they definitely have that let's go to the top of your west rankings now and i want to talk about let's just kind of talk about all three of these teams um surprisingly i guess for me you didn't have the lakers number one um you have the nuggets number one can you kind of give the dynamic between those two teams and what you really like about the nuggets i'm not saying obviously that you don't like the lakers just because they're number two but what 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 is it about the nuggets that you really like that had them above the lakers uh obviously jamal murray's coming back um the nuggets were gonna be one of the best teams in the west had jamal murray been healthy uh, I think he's ready to come back. He, he's ready to prove that he is that guy that we saw in the playoffs in the bubble. Um, and I, I really, and Jokic, you know, the reigning MVP. I just feel like the Nuggets have something to prove after last year kind of just fizzling out. Jokic won the MVP, but then, you know, the playoffs, they kind of went quiet. You know, they didn't have Jamal Murray. Um, 
they had they still have Aaron Gordon, which I think was a really good pickup for them. Uh, of course, Michael Porter Jr. He's going to be great. I think he's going to take another step. Uh, I, I think they'll be a really good regular team playing in that altitude. Um, and then for the Lakers, I just yeah, those LeBron teams to me, they're always going to be playoff teams. Like the regular season, they just kind of coast. So you know that yeah, they have a lot of talent. I think they're going to take a while for that fit to work. I don't know where the shooting is other than like Wayne Ellington. Um, AD is going to have to shoot the ball like unbelievably well for it to work. Uh, I I just think it's going to take them a while to to figure out the fit, and they're just going to coast along, and they're they're just going to have the mindset all year, just make it to the playoffs, just just get to the playoffs, and we'll be fine. No, that's a good point. I could see them coming out of the gate struggling just a little bit, like you say, with that fit, figuring things out, maybe hit their rhythm at a certain point, win a bunch of games, and then just, you know, call it, I don't want to say call it quits, but coast into the playoffs, like you're saying. So before we move to the East, let's talk about the Warriors, who you have as number three in the West, which caught my eye right away. Um, As people know that, listen, Steph Curry is my favorite player outside of Detroit. I'm very interested by this roster. I think Clay's kind of a wild card X factor coming off back-to-back major injuries. Um, You know, those those singular worry you maybe not quite as much as back-to-back the way they are. Wiseman coming off an injury. I like the roster. I still think there's some questions. So what do you, I mean, are you just thinking all of that's going to play out well? What, what, what do you like so much about the Warriors? Um, obviously the talent's there, but you just think it's all going to come together? I, I like the pieces they have. I think I think Wiggins fits well with them. I think if Clay comes back and he's like maybe 75% of who he used to be, um, then that'll probably get them to being a top five team in the West again. Uh, they still have Draymond, who's a leader. Uh, Wiseman, you know, he probably heard all the noise. He he probably wants to come in and play better. Even heard Draymond say, you know, we don't we don't need picks when we're a good team. And Wiseman probably heard that, and that might light a fire under him. I like their draft. I like Kuminga. I like Moses Moody. Moses Moody was a guy who, if the Pistons fell in the draft, I was really looking at him. Um, Kuminga's a project. He played well in the summer league, I thought. Uh, I think him playing with, you know, those Hall of Famers that are on his team, I think that's going to help him a lot in his development, just having those guys around to teach him. I think it's going to really speed up his development for a guy who was otherwise, you know, a project who is going to take a few years. I think it's really going to speed up his development and he's going to have to grow up fast if, you know, if they're a good team. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, he he's another, I keep saying X factor, but I think they have a few on this team. The Clay injuries, the Wiseman, you know, does he grow in his second year? Does Kaminga, is Kaminga able to help them? You know, he, like you said, he's been known as a project coming into this draft, but is he able to help out the second unit and provide something? I think Moses Moody, as you said, was a huge pickup for them. So let's move over to the East now, and I want to talk, you know, Nets, Bucks, 1-2. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. I think um, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who wouldn't um, agree with that, with that at the top. You have the Heat number three, and I guess I just want to ask, I'm definitely not as high on the Heat's offseason as a lot of people were, or, you know, they they made a lot of moves, I guess we'll say, or a splashy move um, with Kyle Lowry. Uh, Do you just think, do you like that team in general? Do you think it's a regular season team, or you think this is really a team that's going to compete for an Easter Conference championship? Uh, I think them trading for Lowry was kind of a 
their effort to become one of those just staple themselves in as one of the top teams in the east a lot of people call the bubble a fluke uh them getting to the finals i think it could be you know that could be true but at the end of the day they beat some really talented teams to get to the finals and they put up a fight even with a bunch of guys hurt um i really like duncan robinson they gave him a huge contract he probably wants to prove that he's worth that uh he's in my opinion, the best shooter in the NBA, um, which is crazy because when he was at Michigan, I never even thought he was going to become an NBA player, but that just shows you how good their development is and how much confidence uh, Eric Spolstra can instill in his players just to just go out there, shoot the ball. Tyler Hero had a down year after having a good rookie year. I think he has something to prove. Bam is getting better. Bam just won a gold medal. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler. He's going to push his guys. He's going to be the leader of the team. And then Kyle Lowry is an aging star, and this is probably going to be his last chance to get another championship. And I think he fits really well with that team where Dragic used to be, and Lowry's going to give them a better defender, better leader, better playmaker at that position, better shooter maybe even. Um, I, I like I like the team they have, and I think – them getting embarrassed by the Bucks last year is really going to light a fire under them. And I also think Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the league. Understand? No, I, I get it. You make a lot of really good points. I, I think for me, like you look through the roster and they have a lot of names that you have to really like. And I agree with a lot, you know, Duncan Robinson, Hero. They brought down P.J. Tucker along with, yeah, you know. That's, yeah, that was a big one too. Yeah, so I forgot I, about that one. Yeah, I, I guess my problem is I don't know that I believe in their top end guys. Like I don't know that I believe in Jimmy Butler as a championship number one player or Kyle Lowry or Bam, whichever one it is, as a championship number two player. Um, and, and so, you know, it'll be interesting um, to see that. You know, obviously, like you said, Jimmy Butler got him there in the bubble. So um, he very well could prove me wrong. I'm not here to say that that was just like a fluke. Um, I, I'm just kind of interested to see whether it can happen again or not. So I, I want to move to another team that I think maybe you have, for my preference, maybe a little too low. So I'm interested to see what you think about them. And that's the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, a team that finished in the top, what, they were number one last year going into the playoffs. So, you know, you have them dropping to five. Is that the, you know, what you saw in the playoffs from them? You think there's going to be some fallout from that? Is Ben Simmons going to be able to get it back together? Sixers at five. What were your, what's your thoughts there? Uh, it could be a little bit of recency bias, but they're just like a stale team to me. I think I think there's just there there could be some chemistry issues. I I don't think Ben really wants to be there anymore. I don't think Joel really wants to play. I mean, I'm I could be completely wrong. I'm not in their locker room, but it just seems like there's some tension there that I don't know if it could be easily worked out. Um, they've they've gotten to the playoffs uh, like for the past how many years and they just can never make it to to like to the finals or anything you know all those tanking years was it you know there's the debate was it really worth it to just be like a second round out every year and I you know I gave them a five seed I put the Hawks one game better than them but I know I could see the Sixers being top four but I, I just think they're stale and they need to make some changes within their organization, whether that be trading Ben or, you know, sitting down with Ben and Joel and, you know, just 
having a real talk <laughs> sure no I, I li- listen I love that Hawks roster especially since they you know returned John Collins and Trey Young is a, is a superstar you know and looked really good in the playoffs so you know I don't have anything against that necessarily you know it's it's easy for me to say man I feel like they're too low at five but then who would you put them over you know I can't say that and then you know and I've I understand why you have the Hawks over them I even understand why you have the heat over them even though I don't necessarily love that roster but in the regular season it probably plays that way but you kind of brought it up with Ben Simmons so just let me ask you, you know, quick answer here as we're, we're starting to run into the last few minutes of the episode. Do you think Ben Simmons gets moved at the trade deadline or before then? I think it's possible. Obviously, you know, people talked about maybe a possible trade with the Trailblazers. If either of those teams are having a bad year, I could see them both trying to shake something up and making a trade for either CJ or maybe even Dame. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Ben Simmons. I'm still a believer in Ben Simmons. Um, I, I, I think it's a bad fit there in Philly. I think that's a weird, con- weirdly constructed roster, and I think I would like to see him somewhere else to see if I'm right that that he's a better player than he's definitely a better player than what he showed in those last three games of the playoffs. Um, but I think there's a little bit there with him, and and so I'd like to see him get a fresh start somewhere else. So one last team um, before we close out this episode, and this has been awesome, Eli. I've had a blast, but. The Chicago Bulls, you have them at seven, and, and I'm not questioning this whatsoever. I'm not disagreeing. That's just a lot of moves they made, Eli, to still finish seventh in the East. I agree, and I I I understand where they're coming from because they kind of remind me of where the Pistons were a couple years ago when we traded for Blake, where we were just so desperate to be a playoff team and get back to being relevant. They just strike me as a team that is tired of, you know, this losing culture and getting like the seventh pick every year and having all these young guys that don't really, you know, lead to winning games. I mean, Zach Levine has never won four games in a row since college. That was crazy to me when I saw that stat. That is an amazing stat. Great pull, Eli. <laughs> yeah, and they, I could see them being better than seven. Some people have them top four, but I just think the East is kind of deep this year, and I just feel like they made a lot of those moves, and it's just going to make them, you know, maybe a play-in team, maybe a sixth seed at best. No, like I said, I don't necessarily disagree with you, and I think you bring up a a, a great point there, and I think Pistons fans should appreciate this, right? Troy Weaver, David Aldridge said this on the previous episode, that what Troy Weaver did was he came in and he said, I'm going to be willing to break this down for a year instead of trying to double down on what had been trying to happen with the Pistons organization. And I think we all appreciate that as fans, and that's what was so exciting about last year. And it's hard to do that, as you can see with the Bulls. I feel like they're just going to continue to double down and try to to make a winner out of this. And I don't know, they may have ended up putting themselves in in a worse off situation. You know, maybe not right away, but, you know. In the long run. In the long run, exactly. Thank you. So I'm not going to, I don't want to reveal where the Pistons land unless you do, Eli, but I want to save that. I want to let you reveal that on your own time. So unless you want to. Yeah, I got the Pistons at 11. I don't think we're quite a playing team yet. I think if one of those top teams has has an injury to a major player, we could slip in. But uh, I, I think I think next year after this year will be the year we make it in. I, I love it. I love where you have the Pistons. Um, I would not disagree with that. I've said I think we're a competitor to get into the play-in. You know, I think you look at the teams you have above them, and, and you're right. Like if there's an injury or the, the course of the organization decides to go a little different way with a few of those, maybe it could happen. But I, I really like where you have them. We're, we're pretty well in lockstep on that. 
Um, so thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you willing to share that on, on this episode and on this podcast. And Eli, this is a blast. We could go for another 30 minutes. I'd love to continue to go, but I know that 60 minute mark is kind of where the listeners like to be. So we're going to shut it down for now, but thank you so much for coming on. I would love to have you back, um, here in the very near future around the beginning of the season. Um, and I want to give you a chance to plug, let everybody know where you're at, what you're doing, where they can find your stuff. Yeah, again, I appreciate you having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at Eli Bashi NBA. Uh, I write for Piston Powered uh, every once in a while, so you can find my work there. Um, and I, I I just I can't wait for the season. I appreciate you having me again. Go Pistons. Absolutely. As I like to do with every episode of Motor City Hoops, I want to thank all of you listening to the podcast. Sometimes I get caught up in worrying about the number of followers or downloads or likes, and all those things have been awesome. But at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that this is about me doing what I love, talking basketball and specifically about the Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for tuning in and listening to me chat it up with my guests like Eli and for all the interactions from you on Twitter and the Detroit Bad Boys website. Please always feel free to hit me up with a tweet or DM. The next episode will be dropping on Thursday when I'll be joined by the newest member of the Detroit Bad Boys, Bryce Hendricks. That's going to be a great episode. Until then, I appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.